You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm talking with Ryan Big, who is an active Ruby developer. Uh, he's done a lot of open source work, and today his area of expertise is actually mentoring junior developers. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Ryan, you want to say hi and let us know what exactly you're up to these days? Sure, Jacob. My name is Ryan Big, of course. I've been working at Culture Up now for about two and a half years. Uh, I've worked here as a Ruby developer and then an Elixir developer, but uh, within about six months, I transitioned into a role where I was mentoring junior developers full-time. That's everything from hiring them to reviewing resumes, reviewing code tests, interviewing them, and then training them up. We just trained them up for six months last year uh, in a program, and we're going to run another program next year for nine months. Yeah, that's me. That's awesome. So what, what part of that do you think is, is your favorite? Like what, what gets you the most excited when you go to work? So I always tell people um, my favorite part of the job is the, ah, I get it now moment. So when, when you're explaining something to somebody, so I had this situation a couple of years ago where I was trying to explain this, this concept to a junior developer. I don't even remember what the concept was anymore. I just remember the feeling of it, but I was trying to explain this thing to this guy, this whole day is like five or six hours into the day and he just wasn't getting it. And I'm like, I'm getting really frustrated because I'm trying all these different angles and he's just like, nope, no, nah, I don't get it. What's, what's, what do you mean? And I'm like, okay, fine. Let's go and get uh, a coffee in the afternoon and we'll, we'll just disconnect from this problem and come back to it when we're back from the coffee shop. And I come up with this brainwave at the coffee shop and I explain it to him in a way that I haven't attempted yet. I must've tried like six or seven different ways before this. I try explaining it to him for like the eighth or ninth time. And he's like, I do it and his eyes light up and he goes, ah, oh, I get it. That That's what I live for. That is the like, I took some information from my brain, was able to communicate it clearly enough that they get it, they understand it. And that's what I do. Um, and those moments are what I live to live for day to day. But on a longer term, it's seeing the progression of the juniors as well. Watching them grow from being kind of these timid people to to being people who are like, I don't know what this bug is what what's causing this bug or what this feature actually needs to develop but by golly i'm going to try and work as hard as i can and and try mm-hmm. and figure it out myself and if i can't figure it out then, then it's going to be okay uh, they start out and they're like oh i've come across like then in their first couple of days or weeks or months they come across a bug and they're like oh nope i can't figure it out that's it i'm going to go now suck in a corner somewhere mm-hmm. uh, but when they become you know when they become more confident and capable they're like well I fixed all these bugs and delivered all these features already. This is just another temporary roadblock in my way. I can mm-hmm. I can bust through this as well. I've busted through plenty of roadblocks in the past. And if I, if I still have trouble doing it, then I know that there's a support network out there I can go and ask for help. That's, that's what I try and do. And I try and make sure that they are growing um, along that path. And when I see them leveling, leveling up in that way, in fact, some of the juniors last year are now mids, um, at Culture Ramp, which is pretty incredible to see. They were able to grow from November last year until I think October this year. They were a junior back then, and now they're considered a mid-level developer. They've actually grown incredibly quickly, and that's awesome to see too. Hmm, that's excellent. So when you, when you talk about these developers becoming more 
capable and, and more self-sufficient. Yeah. So do you think that happens like immediately for most people or is it something that takes months? It does. It does take weeks and months and there's different categories of problems that people can struggle with. And it's about exposing them to a bunch of different experiences. So they may be like, well, this bug has the same flavor as this bug I encountered previously. Like it's in the mm-hmm. same, maybe it's in the same area of the code base or it's in a related area of the code base. And they're like, well, I know how to work with this particular area. Therefore, I'm going to go and try and tackle this problem. And I reckon I can solve it because I solved that bug in the past. Now, that that confidence and, and capability really comes out of lots of those collective experiences. There's also another uh, thing where we have juniors that kind of, uh, their skill level or their confidence kind of plateaus for a little bit. And then you realize like, I don't know, three months in or nine months in that that plateau stops and they they shoot up like like one week they will be really timid and and not sure of themselves and the next week they'll be amazing and confident and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure yet what triggers that, but I see it all the time with my juniors. I'm like, wow, you last week you were really or like last month you were to, you were coming to me and asking me lots of questions and you you came across a problem and you may may have not really attempted it, but then um, this this month you've gone and done all this research and you've gone down all these different paths. You've tried path A and you've been blocked on that. And then you tried path B and you've been blocked on that, but then you've gone C, Mm -hmm. B, E, F and you're like, okay, here's all the research I've done. Here's where I'm at now. I'm still stuck, but I think, I think there's like G or H. If I go down path G, then I think there's a solution there. And I think if I go down path H, there's a solution there trying to figure it out. uh, They're trying to figure it out and they come to me and they're like, Hey Ryan, is there, is there path G or path H? path h that's the path i should go down they can they can work it out that far and they that is really a shining example of their confidence and capability mm-hmm. i think is when they can they they still try and attempt these problems and they're not so uh they're not so sad or sooky about it they, they just keep they keep trying and they keep doing it and that's really really good to see i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know when this gets triggered or what the trigger point is it's just like they wake up one morning and they're suddenly more confident and capable and it's not like there's a there's a green flashing light that says hey look your junior is leveling up you know like <laughs> if you're playing an online game right you have that big level up thing you know something yeah. flashes up on the screen you've gone from level 1 to level 2 there's nothing like that for juniors but then mm-hmm. i can see evidence of that every day early on you know, when you first start solving these problems for a long period of time, you are like mentally and physically exhausted at the end of the day. Yes. Um, and I, I tell people a lot, it never gets easier to solve the problems necessarily. You just get a lot more resilient. Uh, you've seen the problems before. And so you can solve those ones quickly, but you will always find problems you haven't seen before. And those are always just as hard. You just get a little better at dealing with how hard it is. Yeah. You start avoiding a lot of the bear traps. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you have the same experience um, or did you kind of begin uh, as a developer with a lot of confidence? What was that like for you? Um, I've been programming since a young age. So I've been programming since I was seven or eight. I think um, mm-hmm. one of my first programming languages is a pro- programming language no one, nobody has ever heard of apart from pretty much my dad and me. It's a language called Clipper, uh, mm-hmm. like Clippy, but with E-R on the end. So Clipper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should say it like an American Clipper. So you, you people. <laughs> 
this this programming language and my dad showed me he found in the manual there was this way of you could do um you could do tones on the computer speaker you know the little internal speaker in some of the old pcs mm-hmm. so he showed me that if you write code like this it produces a high tone and if you write code like this then it produces a low tone and out of that um i was learning music on the side of that as well and i was like wow i can actually write my music and make the computer play it that's pretty cool <laughs> and so i learned through that um and i i did feel i think i mean it's such a long time ago now but i did feel like i was failing a lot of the time but i had a really good mentor in my dad and i think he made me feel comfortable when i was learning to program and i was also uh, a little bit later on when i was like nine or ten around the advent of the the internet and sort of thing um there was a lot of time where you could download the source of a page and open it in notepad and then fiddle with it and be like, well, if I change this tag from table to div, how does it behave? Or if I delete this element, like I think, I think what I'm seeing in notepad and what's on the page, are these two, these two things are the same. And so if I change this, then it's going to look like this other thing instead. Or if I add a CSS style, then this thing that was red is now going to be green. And I came I had a lot of time with experimenting with HTML and CSS early on. And I think that has built up a lot of confidence in me. So as a kid, mm-hmm. I was playing around a lot with that. And then when I came to software development as a profession, when I was uh, 15 or 16, then that meant that I had that confidence already that I was able to do a lot of problem solving and figure things out and just keep trying, keep attempting things and trying to solve them. I think that really helped a lot early on when I was doing it professionally. Um, that mm-hmm. was, I, I'm not sure when exactly that time was. I was, I was just rec- recalling this story to somebody in, uh, yesterday. I had this little toy application I was building in PHP. Um, and it. I kind of announced it on the internet and said, hey, look, there's this thing that people can go off and use. It was, it was there's this app you can install in computers where it tracks how many keys and clicks you do in a day. And it's kind of like a productivity mm-hmm. tracker. And this mm-hmm. was back when forums were really popular and people had those little forum um, signatures and in the forum signatures you could mm-hmm. put images and those images would then describe like your average keys per second with this and your average clicks per second with this and people would, you know, compare stats all the time. And so I released this product, this mm-hmm. project out into the world and I didn't realize how, how popular this particular productivity software was. And we ended up having, I think at its massive scale, over 10,000 users. And this was like, one of oh, my well. first serious hobby projects that that actually took up quite a lot of um, my brain space and quite a lot of bandwidth mm-hmm. in terms of both my mental bandwidth in terms of network bandwidth too. But I had this um, this somebody from the community come in and help me out, and he looked at my code and said, "This is atrocious. This is this is bad. <laughs> You're using PHP in ways that I would never use it." And th- he's like. He was, I think, 15 years or 10 or 15 years more advanced than what I was. And he's like, your indentation is non-existent. Your CSS styles double up and override each other. Your HTML skills are beyond repair, I think was the terminology. <laughs> he came in and he taught me. So while I was, I was, I learned coding by myself pretty much. So I'm a, a technically a self-taught developer, but I think it's a misnomer. You're always learning from different people around. So you might have learned from videos and screencasts and books, whatever Mm -hmm. else, and you learned from those people. Um, I learned from other people as well, so I learned from sites and whatnot. 
But what I didn't learn about was the coding standards. So in PHP, you've got to indent things a certain number of spaces. And, you know, if blocks have to be, the code inside the if of the if block has to be indented a certain level. Inside the else block, it has to be indented a certain level as well. Um, the thing, those things don't get taught when you're just playing around with your with, with code yourself. You have to be taught that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I had this really awesome mentor early on, um, although he was awesome in terms of his technical skills, in terms of his people skills and being nice to people, he wasn't very nice. Uh, but he taught <laughs> me so much about, we're going to write code in this way and we're going to have small functions like this and we're going to have um, efficient yeah. database queries by doing this sort of thing. He kind of took over that, but from him taking over that, I learned so, so much. Um, that's really impacted mm-hmm. a lot of what I do and a lot of how I approach coding today as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you say uh, you think self-taught is a misnomer because I've actually said those exact words before. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly that uh, maybe even if they didn't mean to, I some people taught me you know a lot of what I know and some of the things they taught me were bad. Um, I, I started out uh, early with, uh, I did a bunch of internships that I kind of talked my way into. And for one of these internships, I worked for a company that had no developers whatsoever. Uh, and they were an e-commerce company. So I don't know how that works. But I basically became their developer. And I wasn't prepared to do it at all. And I was writing really terrible PHP and some Python. Um, and I just learned a bunch of awful ways to do things. And then my first full-time software engineering job, I also kind of fell into. And that was on a really good Rails team. And so when I got on that team and I saw just the scope and the quality of their code, I was massively intimidated. Like I didn't, I didn't even know because I didn't have that in between step where someone told me everything you're doing is wrong. I just went from everything is terrible to these people are amazing at their professions. And I don't understand how yeah, they do this. this. A deep level of um, care so. in the Ruby community about coding standards and style guides and that sort of thing. And I really appreciate that in the Ruby community. I love that. There's also a big push for that in the JavaScript community, especially with things like ESLint and Prettio. Mm-hmm. I think that really helps, um, it helps not only learn the language and learn the kind of standard ways of writing code, but and agreeing on those things is is great because we all can you know read each other's code. That's really awesome. But it really helps with the learning aspect of it as well, I think. Yeah, it lowers the barrier of entry a little bit. Things look a little less foreign when you start. Uh, to kind of circle back a little bit, you mentioned that uh, kind of starting professionally when you were 15 or 16 years old. Uh, what was that like? What kind of projects were you doing? Yeah, so that was the um, the, the hobby project with the, the productivity tracking was kind of my first, first ever project mm-hmm. um, real early on uh, when I was still at high school and I was doing high school and that. And then I went from high school to what we call here in Australia TAFE, which is Territory and Further Education. So you have your second and then you have some more schooling after that. I was doing network engineering there. And on the side of that, I was doing some PHP jobs. I was known through the the local Adelaide community where I grew up, uh, Adelaide, uh, known through the local community as being an up and coming developer and, and just kind of freely available for freelancing work. So I worked um, I worked mm-hmm. at this computer store tracking all their, their incoming jobs. So somebody would come in with a broken computer and then they'd have to know um, who who came in with it, what the problem was, what the fix was, how much it's going to cost and all that sort of thing. And I built a, a thing in PHP for them to do that. Um, and 
then around about the same time I was learning Rails and I realized that all the things I was building in PHP was very non-standard. I didn't know anything about MVC at that time. So I was just like, I'm going to chuck the M, the V, the C all in the same file and it will be like, but I didn't think of it that way. I was like, well, all this code is related. So it's all going to go in like the, the jobs.php file because it's all talking about jobs. And then the people uh, that's going to be in people.php because that's, they're, that's all related. And then I came across Rails and was like, oh, the database code doesn't go in the same file as the HTTP. Oh, yeah. and then I refactored that. And I was like, wow, this is so much cleaner. Everything is in a nice little box. <laughs> so I've got my model code over here. I've got my controller code over here. I've got my view code over here. That's so nice. And so I started doing that. Um, and I got, um, I had a couple more jobs, freelancing jobs before then. But then I went to the Adelaide Ruby users group meeting, which about eight people mm-hmm. at the time. It was very. I didn't expect it to be so tiny. I thought it would be much bigger, but Adelaide is Adelaide, tiny little town, <laughs> comparably to the big towns in in the world. Um, and I said, "Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm currently working at uh, a supermarket chain here, and I am kind of freelancing in PHP. But I've been learning Ruby a lot recently, and I'm kind of digging that and." What happened then was that three people kind of simultaneously gave me their business cards and said, come work for us. And I picked, I picked a company oh, uh, wow. called Sealink, which runs the ferry between the mainland of Australia and a little island called Kangaroo Island. And I helped build their ferry booking system mm-hmm. in, in Rails and, and started cutting my teeth on a real serious Rails project. It's the first Rails project I was working with other people on. Um, they introduced me to mm-hmm. things like test-driven development, which I'd never done before. All of this Rails code and this PHP code that I'd written was not tested, full stop. It was just like, we'll deploy it to production. It might work. It might not. Uh, of course, yeah. As I've learned you my do. lesson since then. But they introduced me to that. They introduced me to a whole bunch of different concepts like data modeling and structuring, a bunch of algorithms and planning, um, how, how code is planned, how the work is planned, things like that that I had never been mm-hmm. introduced to before. Um, self, self-taught coding, like there's no books that's like, hey – when you join a software team, we're going to use Trello and we're going to work in sprints. And there's none of, none of that. And you kind of learn that on your first job. And I think I learned a lot about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I was going to ask, actually, you already kind of brought it up, but how did you transition from being an individual into being someone on a team? Did you kind of come in in sort of an informal or formal junior role and, and just take mentorship or did you come in and kind of uh, run your own projects it was a on formal, that team? formal junior role. Um, I was still stuck in my ways of being an individual contributor and didn't really, I think young me didn't really value a team as much as I do today. I, I learned quite a lot mm-hmm. about being on a team then. I was very strong-willed and um, bullheaded uh, early on. I do regret that now. Um, but there was, there was a lot of mentorship. They were really incredibly patient with my antics um young like 19 year old ryan so 11 years ago uh, or 12 years ago now um they're really patient with my antics and were really encouraging and supportive it was one of the best environments uh to work in as a junior developer i think that that was i was just really lucky to be gifted such a an incredible set of mentors so was, um actually i had three mentors there and they really helped me refine how I was writing Ruby and how I was working with teams and even down to things like how I communicate with people. They were really good. And I only worked there for a couple of months, but I think I learned like that was a really good kickstart to my career. Yeah. So what, uh, what would be the first role where you would describe yourself uh, as a senior or where you were providing, you know, some leadership to a team? Um, 
I worked at a couple of consultancies after that, and one of them was based in Brisbane in, in Australia here. And I think that was probably mm-hmm. the first time I was, I was called a senior developer. Um, I don't think, I think I wasn't ready for it then, um, but then kind of grew into the role more so as I kind of became more confident and capable. I had a mentor there um, who ran the company. His, his name is Dr. Nick Williams. And he is well, mm-hmm. well, well regarded and known as a Ruby developer, very prolific in producing Ruby gems and very, very good at what he did. Um, in terms of running a business, I think he did a okay job and his coding ability. I mean, he, he was new to running, running a consultancy at the time. And I think he's doing a better sure, job now yeah. from what I hear. But um, his, his coding ability was off the charts. For me, it was just like, wow, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a level that is attainable by an individual, which is pretty awesome to see. But as a junior or a mid-level developer, I was like, it's going to take me years to get there. It's going to take me years to know all these shortcuts and all this kind of thinking through code this way. I remember him, um, he was using, it, uh, I think it was Vim or some some sort of terminal editor like that. Or no, I think it might have been TextMate actually. And he was like, I'm going to launch to the post controller now. And he just hit like command T and typed P-O-C-O. And that jumped to the controller. And I was like, oh, you can do that? You can actually like type parts of a file name. You don't have to type the whole file name. That's awesome. And I learned, I learned like so many little tricks like that. And he would, he would be pairing with me and he'd just shout shortcuts at me. And I'm like, what, what does that do? And he'd just like hit it, hit it and find out. So I was like, <laughs> oh, control R in a terminal does reverse searching. And he was like, and he got really uh, shitty with me one day when I didn't have terminal aliases installed. So like git commit, I didn't have GC. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. hold on. And he comes over and he brings over his computer. And he's like, copy this file, put it here. Uh, great, now we've got my aliases. And so I learned a bunch of terminal aliases from him as well that I didn't have before. And that's really sped up my workflow a lot. Yeah, I had a, uh, or I have a, a CTO at my current company, one of the co-founders. He comes from a, a very strong Unix background and has really just a lot of technical knowledge. And watching him work is always like really enlightening for me. I always look at like how he writes tests and he does a lot of test-driven stuff or like watching just his workflow. I always learn something new or I'm always floored by watching how fast he is and stuff. And he's pushed me into uh, learning Space Max, which is like an Emacs configuration with Vim controls. So it's it's been really fun because uh, I'm learning a ton about like how to be more productive and getting a lot more comfortable writing configuration files and stuff and maybe be being responsible okay, for my own work environment like the, when you're <laughs> um, in a test file running the particular test the cursor is under yeah that kind of thing like mm-hmm. that's that speeds up my workflow so much i think it's also just taught me a lot just from like having to configure it as opposed to something like vs code where i started and it's out of the box you just add a couple plugins right, yeah. and you're done there's a bunch of tweaking you can do with that too and i love that vs code is is such an accessible way of getting into editors vs code is an amazing editor i started out in uh like sublime text and then vs code and now i'm using space max but i work with a guy who tried to do space max the same time as me and gave up on it and now he says uh that space max was an emacs in general was just invented so you could gatekeep others so you could just talk about how they they weren't able to use it um so he he makes fun of me for that but i I mean vs code is a wonderful editor and that's what he uses and he's just as productive as i am it's just makes you feel cool to be in a terminal (laughs) there's a level of coolness and i do think there is some level of um Senior developers do do a bit of gatekeeping. It's like, oh, you don't use Vim? Then you're not a real programmer <laughs> if you don't use Vim or Emacs or whatever. Uh, I, I did want to ask you, 
because I know you probably see this on a day-to-day basis, but uh, what's what's kind of your own personal experience with imposter oh, syndrome? Is that something that you felt at a, in, part- in a particular stage yeah, more um, than others? Well, my personal experience with imposter syndrome is that it is incredibly persistent and it, it needs to get lost, but I don't think it ever will. I have it, yeah. I wouldn't say on a daily basis, but a weekly basis, sure. Um, I have, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm supposed to be leading this junior program, right? Which implies that I know what is going to happen. And a lot of my work recently has been planning curriculum for this program. And I'm like, I've got eight or nine now juniors coming to join. Each of them are going to have different skill levels. What if I'm not teaching them the right things? What if I'm, what if I'm teaching them something mm-hmm. that they A, already know, or B, I'm like, I teach a concept and then I teach the next concept, but the two things aren't related and they forget both of them. So that is my level of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. That's like, I'm like fretting constantly every week of like, am I going to be teaching these people the right things? Are they going to respect my opinions? Are they going to listen to anything I say and retain any information? Imposter syndrome always flares up. And I do get into those, um, I will speak quite candidly about this all the time because I think it's important for every developer to hear that imposter syndrome, it's okay Mm -hmm. to have imposter syndrome and it's okay to have days where you feel like like I can I can go back to working on code and I've I'm you know I've been working on code now for professionally for a decade and a half or a little bit more than that. So I should know everything. I should be able to you can throw a bug at me, you can throw a feature at me and I'll just bam, that's done. No. This is not how it works. What happens is that I will encounter a bug mm. and I will not know how to fix it. I will be given a feature specification description and you'll just say, oh, it's just like this. And I'll be like, nope, I have not a clue what you mean. And that makes me feel, it can make me feel terrible sometimes. It makes me feel like, wow, I'm just not mm. getting it today. And that um, the, the important thing about that is that you need to, if you're feeling like that, start talking with people around you because they're having similar experience. They're having a very similar experience to you. Um, one of the common questions I get asked by juniors when they start is I'm going to feel like, like the juniors who start say, I'm going to feel like I'm behind the rest of the group when I start. And I'm, I get this message from like three of the juniors at the same time and I, in a batch. And I'm like, but you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be behind because we're all hiring people. You all have competing skills and, or sorry, comparative skills you know, somebody's going to be strong in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to be strong in Ruby. And sure enough, you are going to have deficiencies in one or the other or, or wherever else. But it's okay. Like it's it's okay to feel like you're not you're not a, a real programmer, or, or you know you you feel like that somebody's asking you to do something and they're going to expect you to do it, but you can't do it because you don't have the skill yet. You're going to have so many days like that in programming where you don't know the answer to problems. When you feel like that. Uh, the the thing that that kind of cures my imposter syndrome is just to say to people, hey, I'm I'm really struggling today. I can't fix this bug because of these reasons. I've looked into it. Uh, can you help me out? Or I'm I'm feeling like I'm a little uh, unsure of myself today. Is kind of the terminology I would use. And I say, can you help me out? And that that when when somebody else comes along and they pretty much shine a light on the dark areas of my imposter syndrome and it blows it away and i'm like oh they they explain it mm-hmm. in a different way and i'm like no i like they might try and explain something and i'm like no i don't quite get it 
and they they will shine a light on it. I'm like, oh, I get it now, right? And I understand it. And that really helps. Talking with other people about it helps. Keeping it to yourself is a great way to brood on it and get depressed about it. So if you ever feel like that as a junior developer, I would recommend um, kind of having the courage, <laughs> having a courage to be vulnerable and saying, hey, I'm feeling shit right yeah. now. Let's go and let's just talk about it and it's going to be okay. One of the things I try to do uh, to kind of combat uh, a, a communal feeling of imposter syndrome, because I know there are people on my team that feel this way, whether they are open about it or not, because I felt this way um, and not been open about it before, uh, is if we're in a scenario or even like a, like a meeting where someone's talking about a piece of technology that I know some people don't have as much experience in, I will intentionally ask <laughs> stupid questions. Like I, I know the answer to the question, but I'll ask the question that if it had been me a year ago, I would have been scared mm. to ask because what that does is first off, it gets the answer out on the table for the people who weren't going to ask. And two, if I ask a stupid question, everyone else in the room is now comfortable yeah. asking stupid questions. And so we all learn, we're all more productive and we're all happier you know, at work. So it's it, there's really no reason you shouldn't be asking stupid questions as a programmer, especially in front of others. And if somebody's going to judge you for that, then that person's kind of a loser, anyways, right? <laughs> so you yeah, know, whatever. I, I, um, just to my genius, it's okay I, I, to ask stupid questions. There no, there's no such thing as a stupid question. It's it's okay to n- ask them because it indicates that you want to know something. If you're asking a question, you you want to mm-hmm. get an answer and you want to know something, so ask it. Yeah. And I think the the one of the more dangerous things that imposter syndrome can cause is a fear to ask questions. And th- because that's like a vicious cycle, it'll only get worse because one of the foundational parts of imposter syndrome is this fear that you're going to get found out. So you don't want to reveal your own incompetence because you think people think less of you or maybe they're going to be like, why did we hire exactly. this guy? If you, but, but if you don't be vulnerable, like you said, then you're not going to get better. So you, you kind of have to bite that bullet and and let yourself be vulnerable and if you're if you're in a senior role um or even an intermediate role like be the example like intentionally be vulnerable in front of your juniors so that they mm-hmm. they know I've it's talked okay at length about my imposter syndrome with my juniors and they all appreciate it they all experienced it at one stage or another and it's important to exactly have that courage to be vulnerable and if you if you're going to ask questions if you feel like if you feel like hey i'm about to ask a stupid question i shouldn't do that reverse the thinking and say, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I want to know the answer to this. And it's, it's going to be like, it's, it's also important that the environment they're asking the question in is a non judgy environment as well. And if you're providing that at a company, then they're going to be able to ask those questions every day and be comfortable with doing so. So there's kind of, kind of needs to be two sides of it. The junior needs to have the courage to be asking that question and the environment they're asking that question in needs to be a comfortable one. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, I have to ask you the worst interview question of all time because I like to humanize my guests, right? Typically, the people I, I like to interview okay. for this podcast are going to be very senior, or very experienced people um, and to new programmers or programmers who are trying to go from that junior to intermediate role. The people that are on this podcast seem kind of out of reach, kind of, you know, too good. Like, like you talked about your, uh, your, your boss in that early consultancy where you're like, it's going to take me years to get to this, this place. Um, so to other people, that's how you look right, now, right? right. <laughs> um, what is something you're really bad at that makes you seem yeah, more I, human to those so people? Back, just backtracking a little bit, it can make people seem godlike when they're talking, like as if they know things, um, and they're like, "Wow, you, you're so knowledgeable." Mm-hmm. Or, 
in a lot of my cases is like, wow, Ryan, you're so fast at coding. It's like, well, because I was slow once and I've just practiced it. What I'm bad at now, I think, is my communication style is still abrupt. Um, and I think this, the juniors that I'm, I'm mentoring now have both really good technical chops as a junior and really good communication chops as a junior, whereas I came in at a point in the industry where that communication ability wasn't necessarily valued. It was more like your technical output. Um, so I received a lot of mentorship mm -hmm. on the technical side of things, but not necessarily, not necessarily on the communication side of things. So what I will do is if I want something to be done, or I'm trying to think of a, a, a more solid example about this, but I'm if I if I want something to be done, I'll just plain out ask for it. Or if I if I disagree with something, I will just mm -hmm. say no. That's that's not the right thing. Or I'll be I'll say something harsh about it. I won't I won't be like, hey, you idiot! Can you just stop? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's <laughs> like I'm polite about it, but I'm very forthright. And I think that's what I really like yeah. is that kind of uh, I've talked about it with with a mentor as well um, that. If you want to kind of correct a behavior or if you want to kind of direct somebody to do something for you, you need to kind of say you're kind of, here's the situation as I've observed it. Here's how I felt about that thing that happened. Here's what I'm thinking. And um, if it's in, in case of a corrective behavior, here's, what, here's what's transgressed just to reinforce it. Here's what's happened. And here's what I prefer to do instead. Now, it's really, really hard for me to do that in the heat of the moment because I'm a very reactive person. I will always, if somebody's, I think, being mean to me, I will react quickly rather than consider like, are they being mean because I did something wrong or are they being mean because they're having a shit day? I don't, I don't think about that when I'm reacting. I'm like, wow, that person is angry and they're attacking me. And I, can, I think I can do the same back to people. So the communication side of this work, uh, that's that as a junior developer is a one of the skills we look out for actually is being able to communicate clearly and effectively. And if you have had conflicts in the past, how have you resolved them and work with those people? And do you realize that, you know, maybe you, maybe you're not always righteously correct all the time. Um, as sometimes I still think I feel like I can be, I can feel like my opinion is the correctest, the correctest opinion. How dare you have a different one to me? And I'm, I try to catch myself out on that a lot, but I fail at that quite frequently i would say probably at least once a month i would fail at that um in in a not mm -hmm. quite catastrophic way but at least a significant way kind of like a, if you're going to put a pro, like a, a a level on it i would say like a mid level of failure at communication communicating quite clearly mm -hmm. with um it's like if i feel uncomfortable in a situation or if i'm disagreeing with somebody instead of going straight for the jugular i should build a safe platform and say like here's Here's, here's how I'm feeling about mm -hmm. it. Now let's, can we work together to change this? That's something I'm really keen to practice and work on more. I don't think I'm doing a good job of it right now. And I, I at least, like, you know, AA says, acknowledging the acknowledging you have a problem is the first step. And so that's, that's like, yeah. No, be, being self-aware is a huge step in the, in the direction of solving a problem. So I think, you know, you're you're far and away ahead of some people that have the same problem and don't know they have it, right? You can yeah. Some people are assholes and they don't realize that they're assholes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At least you know. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you uh, that 
I've asked a lot of people so far because I think it's a really good way to get some some actionable advice. Uh, what's something that you find yourself repeating over get and over to mentor. new developers? That is my number one piece of advice. You can mm-hmm. try and learn this stuff on your own and you can do a good job of it. But what's really going to help is having somebody who can outline, like who can who can assess your skills and then say, great, you're good at these things and here's the direction you should head in now. A mentor is excellent for that. And I cannot stress that enough when you're learning any new skill. If you're learning an instrument, go get some, go get a music teacher. If you're learning a foreign language, go get a foreign language teacher. If you're learning programming, get a programmer. Just find somebody who you can ask for advice. And if you can pay them to do it, all good. And if you can't, then that's just find somebody who can help you. That's my number one piece of advice. You will upskill so much faster than if you try it alone. So Ryan, before we wrap up, um, if someone listening wants to learn more about you, where should they go? That's R-Y-A-N-B-I-G-G.com. Cool. Well, that's all the questions I have for you, Ryan. I really appreciate you sacrificing part of your day to come in and and share your expertise on, you know, junior developers and helping them level up. Thank you for having me in. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.